Welcome to Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition. The mission, to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts seeking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. I'm Jordan Rich. Now, coming up on Friday, May 10th at the Newton Marriott Hotel from 7.30 to 2, it's the 2019 Annual Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Symposium with leading prostate cancer specialists providing up-to-date information on the very latest in prostate cancer treatment and research, and all of it in user-friendly language. You can find out more and register at our website, masspcc.org. One of the many outstanding speakers will be Dr. Arya Olumi, Chief of Urology Surgery at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. And Doctor, tell us a little bit about what you'll be talking about at the symposium. The title of my talk is Changing Landscape of Prostate Cancer Diagnosis and Use of Biomarkers. Basically, we're focusing on uh, appropriate selection of men who should be screened for prostate cancer and uh, uh, trying to minimize the risks associated with screening and treatment uh, and better identifying those individuals who would benefit most from diagnosis and treatment of uh, prostate cancer and avoiding unnecessary treatments. When people, particularly men listening to this, hear the word risk when it comes to detection, sometimes that doesn't make a lot of sense. How can it be risky to know about something? Can you elaborate? So each test or each evaluation that we do has consequences. A blood test that, for example, is abnormal, uh, has an abnormal reading and may lead to additional tests, anxiety for patients. And approximately, we know that 75 to 80 percent of abnormal PSA test results may be false positives, meaning that it shows an abnormal result by, uh, by the screening criteria, but there's not necessarily any cancer that's present. So uh, in addition to the anxiety that causes patients additional testing, can also lead to potential complications or harms uh, because the, the evaluations can be invasive. Doctor, could we start by examining the test we know of, the PSA test and its impact? Yeah, so the PSA or the prostate-specific antigen uh, really um, revolutionized how we diagnose prostate cancer. It was a test that initially was um, uh, discovered in the late 1970s, early 1980s, and really became sort of into clinical practice in the early 1990s. Initially, it was thought to be an excellent uh, prostate cancer screening uh, marker, but we learned that uh, through three decades of experience that it actually has a high level of uh, false positivity, meaning that you know wherever you set the threshold of an abnormal test, when the level is elevated and we sort of tell a patient mm -hmm. that their level may be abnormal. Many of those are false positively elevated, meaning that there's no cancer present because the PSA can also be elevated for other causes, just yeah. an aging man uh, where the prostate is just naturally growing and can also cause an, a rise in the PSA. If a patient has a, any urinary infection, that can cause an elevation in PSA. If there's been sexual activity within three days of PSA testing, which is a blood test, uh, that can cause a false elevation of PSA. So there are other causes that can lead to an abnormal PSA reading besides prostate cancer. I've heard tell that even bike riding can be a factor. Extensive bike rides has been shown to have uh, have an effect. You know, obviously, the distance and and what type of saddle mm -hmm. uh, an individual uses uh, for uh, on their bike can also make a difference. So, so how much that causes an elevation in PSA is unclear. But with very long bike rides, it has been thought to to definitely affect that as well. 
And Dr. Illumi, when a PSA test is somewhat suspect, when the numbers are not quite gelling, what is the standard procedure for physicians? Do they wait a particular amount of time to retest? How does that work? The recommendation is to definitely repeat the PSA. If, if there's a single PSA test that's abnormal, um, uh, the recommendation from the American Urological Association is to repeat the PSA testing at a time that's appropriate. For example, we talked about being abstinent for at least three days prior to the blood testing. Uh, it is important to make sure that there's no evidence of urinary infection um, uh, when the PSA testing has been done or um, uh, difficulty passing uh, uh, urine uh, in an individual, which that in itself can also cause uh, a rise in the PSA. Uh, and I think repeating the PSA testing is important. However, if we do have a long history uh, or a trend uh, of a patient's um, PSA tract, for example, patients come to us with a 10, 15, 20-year history of their prior PSAs, and if, and if there's a trend uh, uh, of rise or significant rise, I think uh, you know that's something that needs to be taken into account and not just a single PSA mm. value. And where on the scale of investigation into prostate cancer or prostate issues does the digital rectal exam fall? It's an opportunity to evaluate a patient thoroughly. I think it's not an exam that's uh, particularly comfortable for the patients, but I think it does provide just one added piece of information, whether there's any concern for mm -hmm. any significant problems or issues. We have seen, although rare, we have seen issues uh, or times when a digital rectal exam may be abnormal, but a patient's PSA may be within the normal range and then that has led to additional testing. We have identified cancers that way as well. So it's part of the puzzle of thorough evaluation of a patient. What are biomarkers? So biomarkers are additional um, pieces of information that, which can be obtained either from blood, urine, or genetic testing of an individual. And, and they basically, anything that is obtained from a patient from their biological being is considered a biomarker. In the case of prostate cancer, we know that, generally speaking, it's a condition, it's a disease that affects men of an older age. But how much do we know with biomarkers that we're studying now about uh, heredity, about the connection between generations, let's say? Yeah, so there are some genes that have been identified to, to, to be linked to familial prostate cancer. Sometimes it can be difficult if an individual has a, prost uh, has a history of prostate cancer in their family member. Depends on when the family member was diagnosed with the prostate cancer and, and whether or not the individual may have passed away from prostate cancer as opposed to other causes. Because prostate cancer is so common, making that genetic link can sometimes be challenging or difficult or hard to identify an individual who may truly have a genetic link because it's so common amongst the whole population. But if a family member, a direct family member, for example, an individual's brother or individual's father was diagnosed with prostate cancer at an early young age uh, in their 40s or 50s, and they may have died from prostate cancer, those are additional guides to me to consider a potentially familial link uh, to an individual's uh, risk of having significant prostate cancer. It seems to make a lot of sense if you have knowledge of your family history when it comes to prostate cancer. If you have that kind of knowledge and bring it to the doctor's office, you're doing yourself a big favor. That would absolutely be very helpful. You know, the more details of the 
family tree and if, if a direct family member has had prostate cancer, whether they, you know, what age they were diagnosed with prostate cancer and whether they died from prostate cancer or if they're alive, you know, uh, what's their condition, how they were treated, that those would be helpful in, uh, pieces of information. What about early genetic testing to determine whether or not someone is more likely to get prostate cancer? Uh, we're not quite there with prostate cancer yet. We hope to get there, but, but we're not quite there yet with uh, just a DNA sample. So speak to the audience, speak to the podcast listeners from all over who are somewhat concerned or maybe have a relative who's dealing with something and maybe they've just gotten a, a diagnosis or at least a test result that they're concerned about. What should they be thinking about? Yeah, so I think uh, the, the thing that I would tell uh, patients is that outcomes from prostate cancer treatment or prostate cancer management are outstanding. Many individuals uh, nowadays who are actually diagnosed with prostate cancer are candidates for what's called active surveillance or close monitoring. And those patients do extremely well. And, and the hope is that if we identify patients who have a very sort of a low likelihood of their cancer advancing, that they may never ever need treatment during their lifetime for their prostate cancer. This way, uh, we avoid all of the side effects that, that come with prostate cancer treatment, whether it's radiation or surgery. So we have adopted the active surveillance over the last two decades significantly, and, and it would become better at who would benefit from active surveillance versus someone who may benefit from active treatment. You know, I think the, the bigger question is, you know, who should get screened uh, uh, for prostate cancer? And I think that's one of the biggest dilemmas. So, so one individual may feel that their risk of prostate cancer may be high or they want to know absolutely whether they have even an indolent cancer that may not cause a problem. And for that individual, screening for prostate cancer would be appropriate. For another individual, the, you know, they may choose that the risks outweigh the benefits. And, and I think it's an individualized decision to determine whether men should undergo prostate cancer screening or not. Mm. So I think it becomes a very individualized decision. Which is why the symposium held annually is so important. And for those listening, it's May 10th in Newton. Go to the website to find out more. But uh, there's so many topics that relate to what you're talking about and great experts and great doctors and nurses who will be on hand. And uh, uh, information is the best weapon, is it not, doctor? Absolutely. I think in making an informed decision whether to have prostate cancer screening or not, I think that's the first step. I think each individual needs to decide for himself uh, whether uh, it's an appropriate testing uh, to proceed with. Well, we want to thank you for your time today and look forward to hearing you at the symposium on May 10th. Any final thoughts for our listeners? We know from recent published data that prostate cancer treatment definitely reduces mortality or death from prostate cancer. So, so in a recent study that was published, it was a European study that was published. They followed men for over 23 years, a group of men who were treated by surgery, a group of men who were watched over a 23-year period. And the group of men who were treated had almost a three-year better life expectancy than the men who were untreated. But that comes at a cost. That comes at a cost of, of side effects from treatment, uh, issues with urinary leakage that, that, you know, that can be transient, but in some men, in some small group of men, uh, it may be lifelong. Sexual function is modified or altered uh, after any of the treatments. So these issues uh, do come up and they are real. And I think each individual needs to sort of weigh for themselves whether they should undergo number one screening and number two, if they're diagnosed uh, 
after screening uh, with prostate cancer, whether they want to have treatment or not. Uh, and I think that's the best uh, information that's available for an individual and their physician to have a shared decision making. My thanks to Dr. Arya Olumi, Chief of Urology Surgery at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. He'll be speaking at the 2019 Annual Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Symposium Friday, May 10th at the Newton Marriott Hotel from 7.30 to 2 p.m. The complete lineup and registration information is found at the website masspcc.org. We invite you to stay tuned to future podcasts featuring valuable information and resources, the latest in research and treatment, and stories of real people who have challenged prostate cancer and won. To learn more about the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and to hear the Prostate Cancer and You podcast, again, go to masspcc.org. That's masspcc.org. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and with all Android players. I'm Jordan Rich, wishing you a fabulous day.